Hello everybody, my name is Dustin Pischel, and on today's episode of The Chatting Comedian, I chat with Ray Allen. Ray is a stand-up comedian, TV host, actor, producer, filmmaker, and writer. Ray directed and produced the documentary The Latin Legends of Comedy. Ray served as the host of the TV shows The Movie Loft, Premium TV, New York Now, The Gong Show, Brain Fuel TV, and Worth the Way. Ray has also appeared on TV shows, I mean TV networks such as VH1, ABC, HBO, Fox, CBS, and Comedy Central. Ray is also the executive producer of the Comedy Central hit TV show, This Week at the Comedy Cellar. Please welcome the amazing Ray Allen. Thanks, Dustin. You know, I gotta tell you something. Hearing you read uh, my resume, it makes me feel like I've done a lot more than I have. So thank you for, yeah. for reading that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like, so you hosted the Gong Show? Well, what happened was uh, there was a there was the, uh, the, the, re- the original TV show, The Gong Show, and it was hosted by a guy named Chuck Barris, and he was great. He hosted and he produced it. And then uh, I met with him, and he like gave me his blessing mm-hmm. to host the live, the official live stage version of the mm-hmm. of the of the Gong Show. So it was produced by somebody named Leslie Gold, who's a really popular radio personality called the Radio Chick. She produced it, and then I hosted that, and it was really cool to meet Chuck and and have him like kind of give me his thumbs up, uh, you know, because I, you know, I, w- I wanted to let him know that I was gonna kind of do that show in the same spirit that he did kind of keep it fun and upbeat because there's other versions of that show over the years and some of them were a little more mean-spirited they weren't really it wasn't really a fun vibe you know mm-hmm. and i wanted you know to let him know that that was what I, I i that's the way i wanted to do it you know sort of in the same vein that he did it yeah uh like there are a lot of um tv shows like have like these like spin-offs of them and stuff and a lot of times, like, they're either, like, really good or, like, really bad. And sometimes, like, they're just weird. And other times they're good. Yeah. Hey, you know, sometimes I feel like my life is a spinoff of my life. <laughs> and sometimes that spinoff doesn't feel so great. So yeah. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. So I start off every episode by asking the comedian, what's the worst heckler you have ever had? You know... I don't know if I remember the the uh, specific heckle, but I do remember just the audience as a whole being absolutely brutal. I, I did a show, uh, I was probably senior in college, and I traveled to uh, Camden, New Jersey to perform at a college there. And it wasn't a good setup for comedy. A lot of times, you know, you have gigs in your life that are just not set up right. Uh, properly so the stage was next to a pool table and people students were shooting pool during the show it was noon in the cafeteria so they're eating they're playing pool and i'm standing there and they just felt like i was just interrupting their lunch and their pool game so it was just a constant barrage of like you know what are you doing get out of the way you know i'm trying to shoot i'm trying to play so it was just it was like there's like 40 people yelling at me all at once. But, you know, look, your job is you have to, yeah, unless you're like in grave danger, you have to do your job. You have to, you're supposed to do your time. 
in order, you know, to complete the gig. So I was probably 20 years old and I just uh, stood there and just kept talking. And, yeah. you know, it was really something. It was like, it felt like I was like, like uh, almost like telling jokes while refereeing like a, a, a hockey brawl. That's what it felt like. Yeah, uh, like I remember this doesn't really happen ever since COVID, so I don't remember it completely well, but like back in elementary school in sixth grade, like these like um, people would come in, like like we would have an assembly, like this special performer, and like the kids would like talk so much shit about them, like whisper it to each other's ears. I remember there was this one guy who was like, I don't even know why, like, he was riding a bike in front of us, like, doing tricks. He's like, I performed in front of 22 countries. And I remember hearing other kids go, oh, that's so stupid. I could do the same thing. And, like, it was just, like, this constant, like, they were constantly just shitting on him the entire time. I mean, he couldn't hear it, but, like, like, the things they were saying, I was like, oh, my God. Well, and they were saying it out loud. He could hear everything. Well, I don't think he could hear it, but like you could hear it like one or two, like one or three rows down. Wow, wow! You know, I once did a show. I once did a high school talent show. I was fifteen. I think it was the fir- first or second time because I did I did stand up once in a club in Boston when I was fifteen, and then I did this high school talent show. And they, from the moment I walked on stage, kids were yelling and screaming at me. I mean, I, before I said one word. And they were like throwing M&Ms and like throwing stuff at me. And I just kind of did the jokes and other kids were trying to get them to, the, 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 the kids were heckling yeah. to shut up and stuff. And I just kept going, just kept going. And eventually I started doing like impressions of my teachers. When I did that, everybody was on my side. I have it on tape. I have a, I have yeah. a somewhere, a recording of that. And I remember like, there was like this noticeable shift. It went from like, you know, so many people, like, there's probably 800 people in the auditorium. Mm-hmm. So figure 80 people, 10%, were yelling horrible stuff at me. And then there was, like, this shift where I had everybody on my side. That was that was, that was an exciting moment, because if that hadn't turned around, I might never have done stand-up again. Yeah, a lot maybe, of times... Maybe it would have been better if it never turned around, you know? You never know. Yeah, a lot of times, like, I hear, like, a comedian, like, a lot of times, like, when they're early on in the career, they don't really do self-deprecation they go like and they perform in front of this like audience like a lot of times they like sometimes like gang members or something well like not actually like gang members like but a lot of times like this throwing stuff and uh i like sometimes they're part of like a biker gang or whatever so i remember hearing like a lot of times like whenever that happens like when the audience is throwing like stuff at them they started like like doing like poking fun at themselves like oh i'm so scared of you and stuff like like they do jokes about it and then the audience like starts laughing and doesn't make fun of them anymore well i think yeah in that that situation i guess i mean i don't think i've ever performed in front of any gang members not that i knew of but in that situation yeah it's all about self-preservation you know i once i once opened i don't know if i've ever told this story before but I once opened up for there's a comedian named John Henson. John Henson used to host a, a show on E called Talk Soup, and I think he's one of the co-hosts of the show Wipeout. Um, uh, Wipeout, I think it's on ABC. And I opened for John again. I think I was in college, maybe I was just out of college, and we did like this. It was this dumb 
place in Massachusetts, you know, and some guy who looked like a big tough guy was heckling me, and you know, I did my best to handle him, you know, I, I was still starting out, and then John went up, and he let this guy have it, really teed off on the guy, and the guy was so pissed off, he wanted to murder both of us, so John and I had to sneak out of this place, through the kitchen, and like, run to the car, because John... John made this guy so mad. He was a big guy. He might, he could have been a, a, a biker gang, maybe. But so it wasn't 100 directed at me. But uh, unfortunately, I was a part of it. But it was a interesting experience. I'm glad. I'm glad we got away. You know. Yeah. How tall was the guy? Do you think? Six five. Wow. And I was probably, you know, I'm five ten, and John's a little, probably a little taller than me. But this guy was big. He was like a big dude. Like you could tell. Like, you know, you could tell. I mean, John ran faster than I did. If I ever run into him, I have to remind him about that. He yeah. bolted to the car. I but, re- you know. I remember I had a guy on my podcast, and like, so he did like not knowing, like he, um, Ed Krasnick. I don't know like why, but like, he, like he tells me these stories when I was on when he was on my podcast, like, these were the craziest stories, like, I've ever heard, so he was performing, and apparently, the, like, someone in the mafia was there, like, a few, like, mafia members, and so he, like, he was doing crowd work with them, and, uh, and I guess he was poking fun at them, because, like, uh, like, uh, he was talking to the, because the club owner came up to him after the show, and he's like, you have to get out of here right now, the guy's, like, looking for you or something, Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. There was one time I performed at a club in New York and there was a guy in the audience and I was kind of, I was, you know, giving him, you know, making fun uh, from the stage and uh, he opened his jacket. He had a suit jacket on and he just kind of opened it up and he showed that he had a gun, a gun inside his jacket. So, uh, I mean, I mean, these are like one in, uh, one in 10,000 that that happens, but it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, that was not, you know, again, this is early, early in my career, but I quickly, you know, changed my attitude and stopped talking. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's some crazy things that get, that happens, particularly more so early on, but anything could still happen, you know, at any point in your career and you just have to be ready to try to roll with it and just, you know, make yeah. the best of the situation. I've always like wondered, like if I was in one of those same situations, like what would I do? Or like, it, like, I would I throw the mic at them, or like, what would you do, like, in something? Like, well, not like a gun situation, but like, if an audience member is trying to fight you, like, trying to fist up, I've always well, wondered what you would do. First of all, are you talking about like they actually come on the stage, Dustin? Well, I have heard situations like that before. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, there's going to be a bouncer who will quickly come up. Um, there's one, I've seen that happen once where a guy in the audience went after a guy on stage, and that turned into like an actual fight. Yeah. But if someone comes after you, I mean, I hope that never happens to you, but do you hit them with a the mic? I mean, <laughs> I, I can't encourage you to, you know, assault somebody, Dustin. I can't yeah. say that's the way to go. I will never endorse assaulting an audience member. I mean, I guess if they're coming to attack you, it's self-defense, but... Yeah. Hopefully you're never going to be in that kind of a situation. Don't antagonize the audience to the point that they want to beat you up. <laughs> yeah. I remember, like, thinking back about it, like, some comedians like Sam Kennison and George Carlin, like, the stuff they said on stage, like, I'm surprised, like, they never got, like, 
assassinated or something like because like the stuff like i know it sounds crazy but like speaking of how famous they are like let's take that also into consideration because like a lot of times like i hear the well i'm exaggerating but a lot of times like i see these like hecklers like like the clips uh, of them like arguing and the way george carlin goes after them is just like it's crazy well dustin i mean it is a show it is a comedy show and hopefully all those audience members realize it is a show and they don't want to actually assassinate the comedian uh you know uh boy you got got some real violent thoughts there buddy (laughs) yeah so um how did you get started in stand-up comedy how did i get started I just I just started going uh, performing. I performed at my sixth grade graduation because uh, I was always the class clown, and my teacher had me perform at my sixth grade graduation. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that went pretty well. And um, and then I did some open mics uh, in Boston when I was in high school, and those also, you know, for a fifteen year old, it was amazing. For in the realm of comedy, <clears throat> it obviously wasn't that great, but um, but for a fifteen year old, it was good. And then, um, and I just kept kept doing it as much as I could, you know, going to open mics, you know, both in, um, you know, high school and college. And I started getting paid gigs when I was in college, you know, to open for people and uh, to host shows and that kind of thing. Because a lot of times when you go on the road, when you're the host, you're only doing like, you know, 10 minutes up front and like two to five minutes in the middle. And that's it. Uh, now... When I host a show, it's a, it's a very different thing. You know, I'm doing a lot more time, and you're doing more time in between. It's almost like you make it your own show. You know, mm-hmm. like it's your show. Um, but yeah, just just a lot of open mics and try to write as much as possible and get on stage as much as you can. And I mean, I would drive six hours for seventy five dollars to open for some guy. You know, just to get mm-hmm. the stage time, and yeah. it was exciting to do that. You know, it's just a matter of just getting on stage as much as you can, as many. You know, days in the week, as many times in a night, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's really how it started. I mean, I just I used to read about these open mics, and you know, and and uh, I was like, oh, I want to try that, and I watched stand up on TV, and I'm like, it just kind of spoke to me, you know, kind of resonated with me. Yeah. So probably the same way, the same way with you. Yeah, I've uh, like applied to do some, but like at some comedy clubs, uh. But, like, did you ever, like, perform at, like, Laugh Boston or any places like those? The I've done Laugh Boston, but I've done that more recently, but not, not when I was starting out. But, but in the beginning, I would do clubs just like Laugh Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a club called the, uh, the Comedy Connection and Nick's Comedy Stop. I'm sure you, you might have heard of that. I'm sure you've heard of, Nick, of Nick's, right? So I would get on stage there on like an open mic or like just a showcase night, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, as many times as possible, you know, as, as many times in a week as I could get on. And like, again, like, you know, college talent shows. And then there's one time I did a show at my college and there was an, an agent there. I think she was representing the, there's two professional comedians and then me, I was like the amateur one in school. And she was in the audience and then she asked me after you know she she liked what i did and so she started getting me some paid gigs you know not a lot of money you know maybe fifty dollars here and there that kind of thing um so that was that was exciting that was a cool a cool little boost you know to get but um you know wait oh i thought you just broke up for a second 
Um, yeah. Did you like go to there are a lot of like those colleges like for writing for television? Did you major in that? I actually majored in film, but when I majored in film, I always knew I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna make a movie one day. But I always knew like stand up is what. That's what I want to do, you know. So it's funny, you know. I actually think if you want to pursue stand up, great, you should go for it. But I actually think it's not a bad idea to get a degree in something that's sort of uh, unrelated to stand up, like film. You know, it's sort of in the similar. It's still show business. It's the arts. It's that sort of thing. But even if you, you know, getting a an English degree or sociology degree or, or whatever interests you really, but you know I love being a film major. <clears throat> but there's a guy who I went to film school with, and he was by far the worst student in the class, and he is really successful in the film business. And he was a terrible student. He wasn't that creative, but this guy, uh, his uncle was pretty big in Hollywood, so he's been working ever since. So it doesn't necessarily mean if you major in something, you know, even if you're lousy in it, you can still work in it. And if you don't major in it, you can still work in it. So yeah. what, 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 you, what interests you besides doing comedy? Uh, Are you into writing or do you like psychology or what, what, what interests I you? I do like to write comedy. Uh, well, I mean, I also like to write, um, uh, work on like the podcasting area. Uh, also... A lot of stuff like in like other aspects of film interest me a lot. So basically, so you're so you're in. I mean, you're into all different facets yeah. of, of uh, entertainment and being mm-hmm. creative. And yeah, so whether you you know maybe you major in writing or English or film, or whatever interests you, you know. But uh, it's good to try to be as well rounded as possible. And also, you know, I think Dustin, it's like if you have lots of different interests to pull from, mm-hmm. you know. That then you have more to talk about on stage, you know. Yeah. I also one of the things I like to talk a lot about, like being a kid. Like a lot of times, like some of the stuff like you see at school and law, like the stuff like that. Because sometimes, like you just think about how absurd it is. Once, like, a, like the teachers at school, a kid like had a brought like a like had a plastic spork, like those like spoons. That's also like a um fork then. And they said it was like in like they said it was a um like it was a weapon or something like 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 they said like an actual like like some sort of like lethal weapon they said it was I don't know why they said that but it was just a plastic little spork and a kid got detention for having it. Wow. That is, that's crazy. Well, you know what? If that's the guy, yeah, I mean, it's good to talk about what you know and what you've experienced. You know, your your own true experiences and your own stories, that's the best stuff. And then it's it's also, you know, then it's your, you know, you're more of an original and people aren't, can't do what you do if, uh, if you're sharing your own personal stories. I mean, that's pretty crazy for uh, them to think a spork is a lethal weapon. Yeah, and they handed out to him as well. So, um, what was, can you tell us about your documentary, The Latin Legends of Comedy? Oh, sure, yeah. So that was a movie I made a little while, a little while back, and that was, um, it was about three New York City comedians who were all, like, sort of pioneers in the Latin comedy world in New York. 
And uh, I had, right before I made that movie, I produced a, a tour, a Latino comedy tour. I uh, did that for about two and a half years with like 40 different comedians. Mm-hmm. And then I took these three guys who were like sort of the senior members, like more the legendary guys from that group. And I made this documentary about it. And I, I just I had credit cards and I made the movie on my credit yeah. cards, which is, you know, it's a big risk. It's mm-hmm. not the smartest thing, but it all worked out. And um and then, uh, you know, I, w- I would bring the movie to different film festivals and stuff. And what's amazing is the way I ended up selling that movie. So I was probably at my fourth film festival, you know, at the film festivals, you want to try to get, you hope to get good reviews and good, good buzz about your movie, good press, that kind of thing. So all these movies had like, these like big, like marketing teams. Like they had all these people that were like, um, you know, had, had different posters and just all kinds of promotional stuff to get their movie out there to get people to come watch it. Yeah. And I was doing everything by myself. I had these really crappy black and white, like eight by ten flyers, and I almost even didn't put them out because I thought they were. I was so embarrassed by them because everybody else had these big, like yeah. full color movie posters, you know. So I put out the flyers, you know, and then the screenings went fine, and I got a good art good some good press and stuff this was in florida and a week after the film festivals at the palm beach film festival and a week after the film festival i get a call from some guy from 20th century fox and he goes hey could you send me a copy of your movie i was at the film festival could you send me a copy and i was like uh yeah i said charles send you a copy did, did you already watch it he goes no, no no i haven't seen the movie yet um but i saw your flyer and i thought that um the flyer just looked really interesting uh, so I wanted to see the movie. So he thought for my crappy eight by ten flyer that like I hand cut with like a cutter and like a scissor in the office of this hotel at three o'clock in the morning. He thought when he saw that that made him curious about this movie. He thought it was going to be like a gritty kind of interesting movie. Anyway, that's how ultimately that's how I ended up selling it is because that flyer got this guy's attention and then he liked the movie. Yeah, that's insane. Didn't he, like... Crazy. Yeah, didn't he spend seven credit cards on the movie, I heard? Yeah, it was six or seven. And, uh... It was six, I maxed them out. <clears throat> and in the middle of making the movie, I get a phone call from a friend of mine. Uh, I'm sorry, he emailed me, and he emailed me an article <laughs> that said that 97 to 98% of all movies that are made don't get sold. And I picked him up and I called him and I said, why are you emailing me this? I'm in the middle of making a movie. I've maxed out all my credit cards. I know what the risk is. Why are you trying to bum me out? Mm-hmm. Like that's, he's like, well, I just wanted you to know, you know what you're up against. I'm like, I already know what I'm up against. I'm already in it. You don't have to freak me out even more, you know? So, um, so yeah, yeah, I did. I maxed out the cards and then, you know, after I sold it, I was able to pay everything back and made a little bit of money but um it was an exciting experience for sure you know it was good I'm, I'm proud that i did that and uh i would do it differently if i did that same movie now i would i would do it a little differently but i was also happy for the guys you know there were three really funny comedians um the names are joey vega angel salazar and jj ramirez and uh i was happy to sort of make this movie you know that, that was all about them so it was cool it was fun it was a good experience so what was the hardest part like i'm interested in like a lot of these like comedy documentaries like i find it like interesting you take a bunch of like tapes and like clips on the road and like it's sort of like a puzzle where you put them all together so what was the hardest part about film and the latin legends of comedy 
You know what? Honestly, the the money became the biggest the biggest issue because had I had a bigger budget, I could have done more, like pulled even more footage, and like and that's one of those things. If I did it now, I'd do it differently. But I could have pulled even more footage, and like it was it was like. Looking back, it was stressful, like worrying like how am I gonna pay for this and take care of that. But what's amazing is that anytime I had a problem, it was almost like magic. Within 24 hours, the solution kind of came to me, like presented itself to me. Either I would talk to a friend and say, I don't know what to do about this and that, and he'd go, Oh, you know, don't worry about it. I know so and so could do that. Or it was just weird. Everything just kind of kept. Resolving itself, so I kind of keep moving forward and keep moving ahead with the project, you know. But I think when I see some, there's some documentaries that I've seen that are amazing, and you're right, they pull all this footage and putting it together is really, I mean, that's hard. I mean, you want to tell a story. I mean, in many ways, a lot of times you outline the story first, right? You write it out and sort of the direction you want to go in, and then you know, and then you assemble the footage. But you want to be honest. I mean, let's say you want to tell a story about an athlete, and you want to make it look like you grew up poor, and then he, you know, became a superstar. Well, if that's completely not true, but you assemble the documentary pieces to look like that, <clears throat> then you know, that's not really being an honest. That's not being an honest documentary. I mean, that's a different type of movie. So you want to, I think, take all the footage, and you might have in your head what you hope you're going to get. Uh, but it might take you in another direction. I mean, that, and that's. I think there's. I think there's certain movies that the filmmaker plans on capturing one story, and then it turns out it becomes another. There's a really good documentary called Hoop Dreams. I think it won the uh, the Oscar years ago. It's a basketball movie, and I think those filmmakers. I don't know if that when they started out shooting that movie because they filmed it over four years while these kids were in high school. I don't think they necessarily imagined. The path that this that these kids was gonna that their lives was gonna take the movie on, you know, because a lot of some tough things happen with their family lives and personal lives, and one kid injured himself playing basketball, you know. So I didn't. My movie wasn't made over four years. I, I, you know, I, I needed to, you know, I put up the credit cards, I started <laughs> shooting, and I'm like, I remember in the middle of it being like, you know, what the hell am I doing, you know, but. But it worked out, you know, and and the key, you know, what's other thing that's interesting, Dustin, is that that year when you go to film festivals, a lot of times you see the same filmmakers over and over again. Yes. So the same group of people that all of us had made movies that year, we all kept going to the same film festivals. And there was one guy; his movie always won Best Picture at every film festival we went to. He always won the award for Best Picture, and. It never bothered me. I never cared about. I don't have to win the award. I don't care about that. My big thing was I want people to watch the movie, and I wanted people to buy the movie because I had to make back the money to pay back the credit cards, and also, you know, I wanted to get the movie out there. And that was my biggest concern. And ultimately, that guy that always won the awards, he was never able to distribute his movie, and it was a great movie, but no. Film company ever picked it up for distribution, so yeah. you know you never know what's going to happen. And your path is your path, and and if other you know just because somebody's winning all the awards, you know whatever that never bothered me, and you know that's not important, you know. Yeah. So um, what? So how long did it take you to shoot the movie? Uh, we probably the filming probably took about four months and then 
editing was another few few months and then started getting into film festivals so I'd say from the time uh, the turn in hindsight everything went pretty quickly from the time we started filming the movie to the time it actually was sold and distributed was probably two years mm-hmm. that's pretty that's pretty fast you know what yeah. I mean I had the idea started shooting um, got the footage we started editing uh, submitted to film festivals waited for that got into the festivals um, not in everyone I applied to and then um, and then sold it and then I actually didn't accept the offer right away when I was offered from the studio to buy the movie because I had another film festival coming up in New York and I was like well I know there's going to be some other studios there so I kind of took another risk I'd already risked like yeah. the money on the credit cards and then people thought I was nuts so like you're not taking that offer that's crazy and I ended up getting two other offers so I ended up going with the original company who then did give a little more money when they saw that I had other companies interested so yeah. you know it was okay yeah a little bit of a gamble that's really cool so what was so uh, you work a lot I wouldn't say like really reality TV but like you host a lot of TV shows so what are your thoughts on reality TV You know, I almost feel like a lot of reality TV shows, they sort of have replaced soap operas. I mean, they're sort of like real-life soap operas. And most reality shows, they're not real. I mean, they're what you call soft-scripted. You probably heard, heard this before. It's like, you know, they try to make it seem like it's reality, but it's sort of, it is a, a bit scripted. So they sort of like, you know, they're coming up with the characters let's say it's a, it's a show about a family so they're coming up with stories and storylines for the family like today they're gonna go to amusement park and what happens if they can't find their their sister like she gets lost in the amusement park you know maybe that's the storyline so it's not necessarily just we're gonna roll footage and see what happens so you know reality shows I mean, what makes a good TV show, right? A, a comp- compelling storyline and compelling characters, right? And some tension, something interesting. So in many ways, I think like a regular scripted show, uh, you know, let's say you're watching a, a drama like, you know, like Game of Thrones or Peaky Blinders or Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or, you know, or even Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is part improvised, but it is, they have like an outline of what the story is, you know? I mean... Those are the shows that resonate more with me, more than like a straight reality show. That being said, if somebody said to me, hey, Ray, you know, like I'm in Aruba right now, Dustin, I have a comedy club here in Aruba. And if someone said to me, let's do a reality show about your life in Aruba, great. I will come up with all kinds of storylines. You know, hey, we're going to go, what happens when we went to go feed the donkeys in the donkey sanctuary, you know, or what happens when they're driving and all of a sudden, oh, there's goats in the middle of the road, whatever, like something funny. You know, you can create something funny with that. But um, why? Do you like watching reality shows? Do you like do you like watching competition shows or straight reality shows? I, sometimes, like, I watch them. And, like, a lot of times, like, when I watch them, I just critique them. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. But I keep watching. Like, some of them uh, are just fun to critique. And others, like, I watch, like, a lot of stuff. More of those, like, like prison, like, those trashy prison shows. Like, like... <laughs> scared straight you ever yeah seen that one? yeah and i i mean like because i can tell that a lot of it's fake like because like uh, if a kid like a lot of times like i like i know the prison's a very bad place but like it, it like 
once they like a kid was trying to pull up his pants and uh, then uh, like he, they were like stop doing that he's like i'm just pulling up my pants and then they just pinned him up against the wall and like i can t and like they and and then he started arguing with them so they took him away but like that like that doesn't actually happen like at least not under supervision it does like the prison Wait guards. a second, Dustin, hold on a second. When you say that doesn't happen, you're speaking like a man of experience. <coughs> you spent a lot of time in prison because, you know, these stories you're telling me about the spork and about hitting an <coughs> audience member with a microphone, you know, it's making me think you might have done some time already. <laughs> Possibly. So, uh... Oh, boy. <laughs> no, but I honestly, Dustin, when I see those prison ones, I think some of those scenarios might seem a little made up, but I do think the point of all that is, that comes through is, you know what, if you're the prisoner, if you're the kid and you're locked up, you, uh, you know, you have no power, they have all the power, they're bigger than you, they're stronger, they make all the rules, right? So even if that exact scenario is fake, it's still, you know, it's... The point the is still real. Is like, you're, yeah, don't go to jail, you're screwed, you know? Yeah, I like, it's so funny to watch like a lot of these things because they're like these 10 year old kids. They're saying, oh, I hit my mom. I drink and drive. Uh, I have shootouts. And I just find it like it's the craziest stuff because they look like this just like they're this like three foot five little kid that hasn't even hit puberty and they do all this stuff. Yeah, I know those kids. There's some there's some kids that I think they're when they're they're bad kids for whatever reason they're angry they have a tough time at home and then those kids can grow up and become really horrible human beings who mug people with a sport <laughs> yeah so um why do i feel like this this show has become an intervention we're trying to keep dustin out of jail <laughs> yeah so um yeah because i'd probably wind up in there so um how did you so you own a comedy club in a that's Aruba. That's like an island, not a country, right? Well, it, it is an island, uh, and it's part of the Dutch Kingdom, you know. But uh, they have their own independence. So in many ways, it's an island, but it sort of operates, you know, like a country, a small country. And uh, it's 15 miles away from Venezuela, which is a very, which is a much bigger country. Um, but it, it's uh, so it's, we're basically in South America. It's like a four hour plane ride from New York City or four and a half, five hours from Boston. And um, you see a lot of people here from the Northeast, from you know Boston, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Maine, and people from other parts of America also. Some people from Canada, uh, but mostly, but, but the audience is primarily American uh, tourists who come <laughs> down here on vacation, you know? So that's really what you get. Yeah, so like a lot of times like, I see, like, I was, like, looking at, like, before I was going to have you on, I was, like, scrolling through some of your past interviews, and, like, a lot of times it says Aruba Ray Ellen, like, it's your name. Yeah, it also happens to be on this hat that I'm yeah. wearing right now. I noticed that. Uh, is it because you have a, do you think, do people, is that the name of your comedy club, or is it just Aruba Ray? No, the name of the club actually is Aruba Rays. It's called Aruba Rays Comedy. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then that came to be because what happens, I started coming down to Aruba uh, after, I, after I, I was working on a different TV show and I was just burnt out. 
Yeah. And after I was done with that, I needed to get away somewhere. I, I never knew anything about Aruba. And I came down with a friend of mine who was familiar with the island and they showed me all around the island and I fell in love with it. And I kept coming here every month just to hang out and relax and decompress, you know, like eight days a month. So in New York, I would do stand up. And then like I come down for like seven to 10 days and just to take a break. And uh, it was awesome. And I wanted to figure out how to spend more time here. So I opened up the comedy club in April of 2013. So, you know, it's almost nine years uh, ago that we started it. And uh, the reason that's Aruba Rays is because my friends in New York, I kept going to Aruba so much, they kept saying, they start calling me Aruba Ray. Oh, look, it's Aruba Ray. And it kind of stuck. It was kind of oh, catchy. Oh, okay. So that's how the nickname came to be, Aruba Rays. I mean, I never had a name, an idea for a comedy club. And then I was just sitting in a, at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. It's a pretty famous club. And one of my buddies said... Uh, and he said, oh, I walked into the club and he goes, oh, look who's back. It's Aruba Ray. And I was like, that's not a bad, that's a uh, catchy name. Yeah. yeah. I, I, like, uh, so are you film? well, not filming, but are you in Aruba right now? Or yeah, you yeah, I'm in Aruba right now. Yep. Wow. This is the first time um, I've had, uh, I'm actually going to have another person on my podcast who I think still lives in Bangladesh. Uh, okay. Naveen Mahabob, I don't know how to say it, but, uh, uh, like, both of you have, like, have a comedy club. Is your comedy club the only one in Aruba? Yeah, I'm yeah. the only one. And listen to me, I don't care who else you interview in whatever other country, <laughs> no one has a comedy club as outstanding as Aruba Rays. Yeah, because he has this comedy club in... Bangladesh this and like this like the country has a hundred million people in it and there's only one comedy club and wow. he's the one that owns it wow yeah in Aruba there's about a hundred thousand people so it's a lot smaller than Bangladesh but um that's interesting you know in Bang in Bangladesh uh you said it's in India is his club or Bangladesh uh Bangladesh so I think it's like surrounding India yeah, there it's tough. There, if you if you if you're having a bad set, the audience will, will come up and stab you with a spoon. <laughs> Careful there. So, what's it? So, how did you come up? You have another bit. Yeah, you have, you own two businesses. Geez. So, how did you come up with the idea of the online business comedy cloud? Oh, Comedy Cloud, yeah. Well, you know, during the lockdown, we're in New York City in the lockdown, and that started around March. We went into the lockdown right as we were finishing season three of the Comedy Central show uh, this week at the Comedy Cellar. So as we were going into the lockdown, we finished up that TV show, and then I was like, I got to find something to do. So I was just like started, you know, binging shows, watching Game of Thrones again for like the eighth time, and uh, just watching stuff, and... I was talking to my friends who were comedians and we were just like, this sucks, you know, we can't perform anywhere. And people were talking about, yeah, maybe try to do online shows, you know, but I wasn't, none of us were that excited about it. And then I got a call from a guy who he'd seen me perform before in Aruba, actually. He's an American guy, he had a company in New York, and he wanted me to perform for his employees. He was like, look, my employees are all working from home, they're all working remotely, they are so... You know, they're, go, they're bored, like we need to keep them, you know, motivated and he wanted me to do a show on Zoom for him. And I said to him, 
hey man, this is gonna suck. I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take your money. I feel bad. He goes, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Put together a show. It'll be great. Just do your best. And he really had to twist my arm to do this. I really wasn't that inspired at the time to do it. Um, so I put together a show for him and we did it on Zoom. It was me and three other guys. And I was like, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty good. And like, I learned how to do crowd work on Zoom, you know, on, on going after, you know, different people in their in their boxes, you know, on the yeah. screen. And uh, I was like, there's something to this. And I bought better equipment, which I don't have with me right now in Aruba, but it's the back, it's back in New York. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then I decided to set up this business, Comedy Cloud. And the website's comedycloud.co. <laughs> and the purpose of it was um, to do shows for companies just like this, this first guy um, whose employees were all working remotely, right? So you want to like try to bring people together and bond them over the, over Zoom, you know, and do it in like a totally different way. Because, you know, people have business meetings on Zoom all the time and all that. And it gets, it's so boring. They're Zoomed out. So I figure if we put together these comedy shows, it's a way for them to interact with each other in a fun way. And also had great comedians, you know, Tom Cotter, who was the runner up on America's Got Talent. He would do them a lot. And uh, Alonzo Bowden, who was the winner on Last Comic Standing, he would do them. So we had these great shows and the audiences were really appreciative. So Comedy Cloud is one of those things that came out of um, Amy being bored uh, and B wanting for me and my fellow comedians to try to make a living and and yeah. stay busy, you know, and keep performing. You know, and I'll tell you, Dustin, performing on Zoom is a lot harder than performing live, like in front of an actual audience. It's totally, it's just a different thing, you know? It's like doing it through your screen, like through a single camera, yeah. you know, on your laptop, and they're watching on your laptop. You gotta keep it moving, you gotta keep the pace moving, and then if I'm controlling, I can, you know, spotlight, I can move cameras around and like, and keep it moving, you know? So it's almost like you're doing a live TV shoot, and if you have a lot of people watching, you're scanning constantly, trying to mm -hmm. see, you know, uh, who you can, who's, who has something interesting going on on their camera, um, or in their house. So those, those shows are really tough and challenging, and now I do maybe one a month, but I did over 100 in the, in the beginning of the pandemic, the first, like, 10 months, yeah. a year maybe did over a hundred of those so that was you know it was a good way to you know keep performing and and uh you know you got to adapt some you know you got to adapt and, and keep doing you know just moving forward and keep busy you know mm -hmm. yeah i did a, a lot of those during the beginning a lot of like zoom shows during the beginning of the pandemic and then i think like a lot of them just like like so if like covid like this summer like the pandemic sort of just like it sort of like stopped because like there were only like 19 cases in my in my whole state a day and then it just wow. went back up to like uh, hundreds to thousands now a day so like so like a lot of them I think some of them are starting back up but a lot of them uh student person now yeah you know it's interesting it's like at first, everybody was watching comedy on Zoom. A lot of people were watching comedy on Zoom. Like the people who come to my shows in Aruba, they would come watch them on Zoom. They'd buy a ticket, you know? And in the beginning, everybody wanted anything to feel connected to other people and keep busy and be entertained. 
And then, like, after everything died down with COVID for a while, people were like, great, I'm going to get out of the house. Yeah. And now that we have the spike again, it's weird. It's, it's a lot of people have still said, you know what? I don't want to go back on Zoom. There's more. There's a lot. I want to watch the new Spider-Man movie instead, you know? So yeah. I get it. You know, Zoom is, people are Zoomed out again, you know? So thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast. It was an honor and delight having you on. And before we go, is there any social media or anything you would like to promote? Yeah, how about uh, my Instagram is at Ray Comedy. And uh, for Aruba, it's at Aruba Ray's Comedy. So at Aruba Ray's Comedy and at Ray Comedy. And uh, the website, uh, you can go to www.com raycomedy.com or you can go to www.arubacomedy.com and maybe one day uh, you know you, you put together a long enough set and you can perform in Aruba okay absolutely so thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast and goodbye and have an amazing day thank you buddy thanks for having me I appreciate it you're very, welcome very cool. bye